0: Welcome back, everybody. Thomas Freemy, and this is the Thomas Freemy TV and podcast show. You're trying to build a prison. You can't handle the truth. I know it's been a minute, and all with good cause. I bring you good news, and we'll get into all of that. But first and foremost, many blessings to all those um, that are suffering from the mass shootings. Prayers, prayers, prayers to the families of these people who want answers to their questions as to why is this going on in America? Why does this keep happening? Why does it keep happening in public schools, not private schools? Why is it uh, so clean? You know, it's like like my, my questions are, why is this so clean, right? And what I mean by clean is is... Let's take Buffalo, right? This kid was allowed to put so much hate online. He was allowed to 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 put his manifesto out there and then carry out the act and live stream it. How is this possible, right? How is this possible when I'm so censored? All my channels are censored. You know, I put a a, a video out on TikTok and it gets taken down in a matter of seconds, right? YouTube has demonetized my channel because they told me I'm too controversial. So we, we've, we've censored the United States of the president. And regardless whether you agree with him or disagree with him, like him or not, it was done, and that's factual. The man couldn't post on social media, okay? But yet these kids are doing this. How? How is that, you know? And today's discussion is you know revolves around this some of some of these 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 answers to these questions as to how and where is this hate breeding at right um not too long ago a couple days ago i listened to a congressional hearing on you know gun safety the ar15 and and such and i listened to a good portion of that of that discussion and a lot of it again are these congressional people that sit up there in washington in their seats and and they have all the answers they have all the answers without any experience of being in the mix these people have no connection to our communities and it, and to me it's disturbing to listen to these people up there talking about decisions that they're going to make that's going to affect our lives and yet they have no connection to the communities. There's no conversation. There's no, there's no hearing anybody out. It's, it's just an agenda to push. And, and when I see this, it just makes me question events that happen even more, which is why I reach out to my people and the public and just try to get people to understand uh, what's going on, how important it is for us to remain divided and fighting amongst each other you know so these are the discussions race in america this is what we're hearing and and we are we always have been racially divided and you know it, i guess it's it's kind of like you know who crossed the road first you know the, or who came first the, the chicken or the egg you know are we growing more divided as i hear these congressional people like to to say up in their their boxes, you know, that we're, we're becoming more racial, more divided. And I think that we've always been that way. And I think that it's just becoming more outspoken, right? It's, it's, it's gaining bravado. It's, it's, it's getting confidence from somewhere to, to portray itself. So it's like, where? Where is this coming from? Well, me being incarcerated for the amount of time that I have and, and many others, I know where a lot of this hate is, is bred and where a lot of this racial division is, is bolstered, you know, is taught. And that is in our prison industrial system. And then these individuals are learning these, these ways of, of hatred, you know, these, these idiocracies that they're bringing out into our society right and that is where these groups are coming from that is where the hate comes from but ultimately the point that i would like to make <coughs> is that this is a trickle down effect that is in our administration when i hear these congressional people up here talking they talk about us we're the white supremacists right we we are the the uh the militias and the elites that are out there that they have to deal with we have to deal with these white supremacist groups and these white militias and and these these hate groups and we have to you know we're the ones that have to figure it out they never include themselves now we already know this is a majority of a of a white you know cast and they never include themselves not one question from not one person did i hear that asked what about the white supremacy that is amongst us, what about the racism and the bigotry that is amongst us now as we speak? Who is the one? you don't you won't hear that. It's us, the people, and they have to deal with us. Listen to these people's speech. That is the most important thing. in this conversation that I'm having with Frank De Palma, who was incarcerated for forty two years, right? Um, His story is coming out. I'm doing that editing. This was the first one I wanted to put out of our discussion. It's probably going to be about a 10-part discussion. It's very lengthy, very detailed, very in-depth because Frank DePalma is a very unique individual. This is a man who spent 42 years incarcerated, and not for a crime that he committed on the street, but for crimes that he committed in prison. He killed somebody in prison. He killed a black man in prison. He stabbed quite a few. And it wasn't out of hatred for black people, but more as an environment that was bred for this to happen and for this to occur. And this is an everyday thing in all our prisons, right? So the man went in with a 10-year sentence at 18 years old as a cocky 18-year-old man who was taught to retaliate from his, children, from his father who was taught to retaliate from his father. His father taught him to retaliate at a young age. When somebody offends you, you retaliate. And he taught his son how to retaliate with tools, if necessary. And this is what he did. You know, one fateful day, uh, somebody ran over his, his best friend, his dog, his companion, you know, and he lost it. The person showed no empathy, didn't even apologize, just kept on going like his best friend was garbage and maybe to some they would view it that way it was just a dog but to others i'm sure both both can relate on both sides to others this was his best friend this was the only companion in the world that got him that understood him in that time and this man just ran over him and kept on going and he lost it he went up to the house he tried to fight the guy the guy wouldn't come out um he saw the keys in the man's truck and ultimately, he took the truck and ran into the guy's house is is what the end result was. Um, he had a plea bargain on on the condition of... Uh, he had probation. A plea bargain for probation on the condition that he apologized to the judge for what he did. And Frank, being the man that, that he was raised to be, did not because he did not feel sorry. He felt justified in the fact that this man killed his best friend. And... He didn't apologize. And for that, the judge revoked the plea and resentenced him and gave him 10 years in in state prison. And that is uh, the result of this man spending 42 years in prison and 22 of those years in solitary confinement. 22 years in solitary confinement. He didn't see his face for 22 years. You know, and and I can relate to that because I spent six months in solitary and yeah, we would have to, we'd have to shave like this and just shave and then just feel. And unbeknownst to me, I have no idea why it's so important to see our reflection. We would find anything that we could to see our reflection in something just to see, you know, just, I want just want to see myself and it was very important to me and this man went 22 years without seeing himself so imagine that imagine not seeing your face for 22 years and then seeing it for the first time 22 years later these are traumatic effects and we we delve into into these things in in later episodes however there is uh a two two of those episodes are solely on solitary confinement, the effects that it had on him. And if you pay attention throughout these these discussions, you can see the effect that it has had on this human being. So, uh, but specifically today is about racism in America, right? And all the things that we see going on, all the hypocrisies, you know, all about, you know, Colin Kaepernick kneeling, for instance. You know, this is, always been a a topic of mine is is the the hatred towards Colin Kaepernick because he kneels for the American flag and and I think a lot of people use that as an excuse to hate Colin Kaepernick because he's black and he's talented and that's just a fact because half the people that have commented about Colin Kaepernick kneeling during the national anthem don't stand up themselves we're talking about america went on an outrage and and when you sit down and think about it these are americans that are sitting in their house watching football sitting in their chair when the national anthem is played out they don't stand these people aren't standing around in their house they're not leaving their grills and putting down you you might get uh you know a hand over the heart best out of them but these are people who judge others based upon their own stigmatic education and miseducation that has been placed there by an agenda-filled government and that is just the facts stats show that we are all starting to come to understand that it's easier for us to say that that racism is systemic and that it has been in our country from the inception we get into you know, what is, what is critical race theory? Like, what is critical race theory? Why do we have these arguments over critical race theory? Why are we having critical race theory taught in our schools? This is history. This is history. Why is it named something other than history? Why is history not being taught as critical race theory, if that's what they want to call it? Still, it's the separatism. And it's these It's these band-aids that they come out with to pacify. And this is all they have done with us is try to pacify the people. This is what the 13th Amendment was all about. Pacification. These people didn't want to free slaves. They didn't want to end slavery. These people, these black people at that time was building America. They couldn't stop that. But they had to stop the fighting. There were people, there were Americans killing themselves over this slavery bit. They couldn't have that, first and foremost, because they had to have these people to work, you know, taxes that'll be paid. So it was coming to a resolution, a pacification. How can we keep our interests, but yet pacify the people? This is what the 13th Amendment was. That's all it was. It wasn't about abolishing slavery. Because if it was, they would have never put the however in there. And it's the however that's unknown. Why is it unknown? Because when you Google the 13th Amendment, all you're going to get is the first part of it. It is known as the amendment that abolished slavery. And it gives you that, and then it gives you the little dot, dot, dot. And then it stops. never gives you the second part. The however. And as in law, there is always a however. And in this particular law, however, all rules of slavery apply to those who have been convicted of a crime. All rules of slavery are to apply to those who have been convicted of a crime. All rules of slavery. So when we sit here and we say that that prisons is slavery, people laugh at us. You know, people laugh at us like, oh, you're you're just complaining. No, it's slavery. We have been treated less than man, three quarters of a man, no matter what your crime is. And this has turned into an institution that has incarcerated almost three million of our American citizens who are mostly nonviolent, mostly addicted to drugs, crimes of survival. This is a is a monetary institution, and it is costing the taxpayers heavily each year on their taxes. When we have to work 60 to 80 hours a week, these are the reasons why. Because there's so much money that's going unchecked, you know, because there is written off as criminals. This is criminals. And they show us all this crime on the six o'clock news to keep us in fear of these criminals, to justify their police and to justify their prisons. So it's never a question. It's never even brought up. When they're cutting taxes or they're trying to take money from somewhere or, or, or somehow to, to alleviate inflation, they never look at prisons or incarceration. It's never even a thought. It's never even brought up. <laughs> There's reasons for this. And this is what Free Me Podcast is about. And more importantly, this is what my organization, Coming Home Coalition, is about, which is now a non-profit so please, support. I need it. The support goes in line with trying to unite and bring all of us together, all our communities, um, through community help, support, in any kind of way when it comes to criminal justice. If there's a family that... Because we can't trust attorneys anymore. We know that attorneys just want our money. And our son's life is more important than that. And there are families out there who feel like Just because a prosecutor slapped a charge of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon on your child, and now they're looking at 15 years, and you have this gunslinger attorney come in who says, you know what, I can get your son six months probation. What parent wouldn't jump on that because they don't want their son to go to jail, and they know that their their child got into an argument, a fight. Maybe it, it was nowhere near as serious as aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, but that was the charge. And we settle for that probation, not knowing what that felony conviction has now done to your child for the rest of his life. So it's understanding these things and making sure that the family is well aware of what is going on before they they enter into these contracts with these government officials. Because the government has shown us, time and time again, they do not care. The stats are there, prisons are full, communities are destroyed, we're working 60 to 80 hours, Takes two people to run a household. We have no time for our family. The children are being disrespectful to the parents because we're not there. If we cannot provide to our children monetarily or in any other kind of way, this is where the disrespect comes from because what good is a parent? You're never here. The nurturing's not here. You're not allowed to touch me. You're not allowed to break me. So I don't have to fear you, right? So there goes the respect right there. And then I don't have to listen to you because Google says everything that you say differently. I'm going to listen to Google. So we're losing our children in that aspect. And what happens to our children when they don't follow their elders, when they think that they know everything and they're out here at 17, 18 years old, thinking that they have all the answers to life and life comes down on them? What happens? This again is is what my organization is now here for. It is a nonprofit. I do need community support because I do not will not accept federal funding or grants for this organization. It is for the people by the people. And that is what will allow me to bring the content that I bring unfiltered until they shut me down. And if I can get enough community support behind me, they can't shut me down. So this is what is allowing me to bring these discussions That is what allows me to get in the room with these representatives and tell them exactly what the solutions are to change. We don't need good time. We don't need parole. We need to stop sending people to prison. We need to stop making money off these people. Empty these prisons out. We can use so many of those buildings for homeless shelters. They have hospitals in them, showers, beds, right? We could stick so many homeless in there and run them through programs. There's so much that we can do with these billion-dollar buildings that they built besides just warehouse men for monetary gain. There's so much more to it than than what we're doing. And that is what I'm bringing up into the room. They don't want to discuss those issues. Representatives don't want to discuss term limits. They don't want to discuss, you know, retributions against uh, prosecutorial misconduct. These are off the table. No, we want to talk about good time and parole where they've gone through the system. We want the, the convictions yeah we can't get rid of the convictions but we'll shorten the time up a little bit and revolve them a little bit quicker that's what i'm trying to get these these organizations to understand like why are we in a rush to get people out of prison into a society that's not even accepting them what are they going to do it just it's just creating more of an issue so it's just everybody's everywhere making emotional decisions and nobody's really coming together and thinking these things through and, and we're, we're doing that now, you know, again, through my organization, through through a multitude of great organizations and people who see what the issue is. We agree on, on the solutions and we're coming together to try to gain support in that. So please, again, visit www.cominghomecoalition.com and support where you can. <sighs> Racism. I've experienced it. I've seen it, I've lived through it, I was brought up in it. I had to, to abolish it myself and, and go through it. And I'm looked upon as as a certain type of individuals by white people. You know, I've been called a race traitor and, and all of these things throughout my life because of just who I was forming into and, and who my experiences were as a human being. And how I was interacting with these experiencing these these experiences and processing these experiences based upon what I saw, and that's it and i and I was judged for that and and called names and and such because there are individuals out there who are just hateful, they're just hateful because they hate who they are and and in hating themselves they have to lower other people but below them so that their hate for themselves is a little more justifiable you know they can't have good people around them because I, that would make me the bad person so if i expose everybody else's weaknesses and badness then mine won't be so uh outlandish you know it won't stick out so much but a lot of these issues that we see on TV makes us emotional and then we take it into our own communities. What happened up there in Buffalo was a tragedy. Yes, of course, but it, it, it hasn't, it didn't happen in Tampa. It didn't happen in, in, in anywhere else. And could it sure a meteoroid can, can wipe out earth tomorrow. I can't worry about that stuff. I can be aware of it. I can know that it exists, but I can't let it affect me emotionally to where now I'm taking it into my community. And now I'm creating what what I fear in other communities. Right? We as people have to understand that this is an agenda to keep us divided, keep us hating on each other so that our eyes are not on who the real enemy is. So, with that, I'm going to leave that and um, we're going to get into uh, Mr. Frank De Palma. And... Uh, Frank had a very tough time in prison and he was dealing with, uh, you know, Aryan groups in there, as I was, and the pressure to, to perform, you know, for these groups and what happens in prison when you don't and how prison, the administration of prison breeds hate, breeds racism, breeds segregation. They structure it that way the prison is structured to segregate to to hate each other and to create the animosity that it does um so we get into these issues so sit back please enjoy and just always keep in mind that this is an individual who has been in prison for 42 years and of those 42 years 22 of those We're spent in solitary confinement. For those that really don't understand solitary confinement, you're talking about a six-by-eight room, right? Six-foot wide, eight-foot deep. And in that six-foot-by-eight foot, you have a bed on one side of the wall that comes out two feet, right? 24 inches, and is six feet long. And then you have a toilet, and then you have a desk, this is all that you have in the room. You have no mirror. You have a small little window. You know those small little bar windows that like this. And and if you're lucky, it, first off, it's not a window. It's just it's it's usually stained glass or you can't see through it. There's nothing that you you cannot see outside. You know, we would we would spend hours trying to find a little crevice in this window just to see grass see something outside besides just this light coming through a a blocked window and some people would block their windows they wouldn't want no light to come in but you're in this room and you go nowhere you're in this room for however long until you move some prisons um depending on the severity of your your solitary confinement they rotate rooms so you know to to kind of keep you psychologically sound but They don't have to. It just all depends on the administration. You know, it just all depends on the administration. But they don't have to. And Frank spent 22 years in one six by eight cell. Never left that cell. You'll hear all of this, you know, in in the upcoming tale. So just keep this in mind when you speak, you know, when you when you hear this man speak. And he's only been out since 2018. So four short years and this man has been left, he was dumped. You know, he was just kicked out and told good luck and he's been trying to survive since then. It's really an amazing story. So without further ado, Frank DePalma.
1: We need to get you a mic and stuff i I'm going to be doing a lot of interviews with you. I'm, I'm,
0: I'm going to bring you in on discussions that I have with other people and stuff like that yeah. too.
2: You know, I, uh, I, I don't think I'm the person for that.
1: No, I got what? too many. Huh? You don't think so?
2: I, uh, <laughs> my brain, uh, my brain's, dealing with too many deficits to, uh, delve into, the
1: to that. Uh, I'd
2: be a disaster.
1: <laughs> I don't think you would, man. I think you would be perfect. The reason
0: why I would bring you in as, a, as, a, as, a, as an, an experienced ear, right? Just to sit back and process what people are saying because the experience that you have is, is so, so unique. You know, you're going to process things in, in a way that... <clears throat> very few people will. And and that in itself is uh is when you really learn how to hone that where you can just sit back and, and take what people say and process it. Yeah. It's um man, things are really gonna come together for you, man, because like I say, you 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 are a very unique individual, Frank.
2: What makes me unique? I don't uh just another guy that spent years in prison you know
0: your experience alone because not many people go through that experience it's the experience and who molds us it's the experience and who shapes us and, and and experiences is what gives us thought process so your thought process is based solely on your experiences which is very unique many people don't experience what you went through and not only that but survive it and not only that but come out and, and still have enough courage and strength left in them to want to still improve their life and right their wrongs and, and
1: things of those natures, you know? Yeah. That is what makes you so unique. Yeah, I
2: have seen a lot of guys, well, almost all of them probably that came out since I've been out and they're all back in.
1: You're oh, not yeah. going back.
2: No, I'm
0: not. No, you're not going back, Frank, because you want to. You understand, you know. And it's just like me. I would go sleep under a bridge before I went back under there. You know, I would, I would face that challenge before I went back into prison.
1: So
2: I I did that. I faced that challenge. That homeless, homelessness. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. hey, the homeless people are the tough ones. They're mm -hmm. tough. They are tough. I ain't got nothing on them, <laughs> you know, I got nothing on them.
0: Well, let's get into what we're going to talk about today, which is racism in America, you know, with, with the, the latest of everything going on with with um, these mass shootings, man, and and God bless all these families and what they're going through and, and the atrocities that they're, they're facing every day, having to wake up and, and still deal with this.
2: The sad part is is uh, I've seen such a drastic change in, in our society as far as parenting goes. Parents have become afraid to discipline their children. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're afraid to have sleepovers because somebody says something, you know. Uh, it's just parents don't instill things that we had instilled in us by our parents. Uh, And and it seems like kids are being raised nowadays without any kind of foundation within themselves about learning to understand what respect is and what it means. Uh, You know, uh, to give respect to everyone because of their intrinsic value as human beings. Uh, I mean, I'm big on, I try to be humble when I'm around people. Because I spent my whole life around barkers and and biters and and haters. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't like it. So what I do in my life is I've taken all the things, all the bad things, what have you, and I've looked at them. It's like I looked at myself. Uh, I looked at myself and then I stepped inside myself and I had to face the truths that I didn't realize and that I ignored or that I denied. Uh, but that made me a better man because I value
1: honesty. I value trust. You know,
2: I, I value compassion, forgiveness, understanding. I value these things and I value that I have only very few relationships, but they're real. They're real. Well,
0: I mean, I I agree with you 100% on, on the aspect of the children, and this is a lot of what my podcast revolves around is the fact that, one, they overwork us, right? They overwork us, and again, that is an agenda to divide the household, right? Because as long as the parents are working, they don't have contact with the children. And where are the children? The children are being raised in government institutions, government facilities, you know, especially in the poor class because we can't hire personal tutors and things of that nature, you know. So it's we're we're sticking them in in section eight, you know, uh kid facilities and wick, you know, however that stuff goes, you know, and the 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 children are learning not to listen to the parent, right? Because like because like you said, the parent, even though that we're human in nature, right, and we have emotions and things of that nature, we're still animals. And animals have to be broken. If you want your yes. dog to respect you and you want your dog to, to mind you and listen to you in your house where it's not pissing and shitting all over the house and chewing up all your stuff, you have to break that dog. That dog has to know that you are the master. You are the leader of this house, and it abides by your commands. But like you said, we're unable to do that with our children right so the children never get broken they never get taught to respect the elder they're being taught to disrespect the elder there's nothing there for the elder to do other than to feed them clothe them and give them money when they want it and if that elder can if that elder cannot provide that for that child that child then becomes rebellious because it sees no other value in that elder
2: and they're more susceptible to outside influence of course you know, and hence their mass shootings because they start getting online and they see all this white supremacist racist thing, uh, you know, and they're whether they realize it or not, they're looking for something. They're looking everybody's looking for something in their life. Yeah. And then they latch on to this and then they get all just like the kids that go into prison and these guys recruit them to join the gang. Hey brother, you know, this that and the other thing and, and they, like, yeah, yeah, but really, this is being used. So let's talk. <laughs> let's
0: talk about that. Let's because I think that's very, very important. Again, when we're talking about you know, especially when we have these congressional members getting up on stage talking about white supremacy and yeah, and all of that. And and I do want to note out that I did listen to the um the the meeting that they had the other day when they were t- up there talking about you know the AR-15 and what they were going to do with it and, and guns and such and they were up there making notes and, and their speech was of white supremacy and the problem with white supremacy in our country. But they were th- speaking as if that white supremacy is not amongst them, it's amongst us. And I want the people to understand, uh-huh. right? Hear the speech of these people. They are always putting it on us. It's always our fault. Everything is yes. us, we are doing this. They never take accountability for none of their actions, and they will never speak of white supremacy amongst them. It's always amongst us.
2: Look, those are people, Them people sitting up on Capitol Hill, they never even have to go grocery shopping. All their medical is taken care of for the rest of their life. They don't understand. They forgot or they never understood about the blue collar class. You know, uh, people living from paycheck to paycheck. And I see it as just, what I see in Washington now is just a bunch of both sides of the out fighting each other, just fighting each other and trying to sabotage one another. And who suffers? Everybody out here. Gas is what? $6 a gallon now. Food prices have gone to the roof. You know, and they want to blame it on COVID. No, I blame it on them. I blame it on that.
0: Of course, you know, everything, everything spawns it. from our leaders. But so oh, yes, you, yes. you were going into prison for the first time at 18 years old as a young kid who had spunk, who had the f- fight in them. And what was expected of you as a young white kid coming into prison? Let's ask that. What was expected of you?
2: Well, from, from I, I, I operated on what I consider to be sound advice to guys in jail that have been in prison
1: they simply told me you learn the rules you mind your own business you don't tell and you represent yourself you know you always got to stand up for yourself and i learned to do that in life you know on the streets growing up in brooklyn
2: you know so aside from the fear i mean fear has been been like a friend to me my whole life Mm -hmm. you know uh it's been, I've known it my whole life, but it's, it's also helped, help me, you know, keep me alert, and keep me aware. And, uh, so when I got there, I mean, I was scared, scared to death, <laughs> but I still knew I had to learn the rules and check things out and get the, you know, get the feel of the place so I could better deal with it. And that's what I did. You know, that's what I did.
0: Mm-hmm now uh for those that that have not listened to the prior conversations this is frank de palma he spent 42 years and some odd days in prison and 20 21 22 years was spent in solitary years
2: and 36 days yeah.
0: spent in solitary confinement he's home and his uh well you can you can check the, the prior episodes plus he has a book coming out that will go in, in full detail but today's episode we're specifically talking about racism now, Frank was, was born and raised in Brooklyn, right? You grew up in Brooklyn. Yes. Um, inner parts, inner city of Brooklyn, right? Yeah. How, how much interaction did you have with Black people in your youth?
2: Uh, well, there, there, there's a lot of Blacks and Puerto Ricans. I mean, Brooklyn's a, a melting pot, you know, you and you, you have all different, you know, uh,
1: and... Our neighborhoods
2: were structured in such a way where people knew that if you go into this neighborhood, and you go in there by yourself, unescorted,
1: you're going to have a problem. You know, you have to be invited into that neighborhood. So in the boroughs, Brooklyn, Bronx, Queens, Staten, you know, uh,
2: it it was all operated on the same foundation, you know, that, like, uh, in the Bronx, they had the Enclave, uh, Bay, Bay, Bay Ridge, they, they had, uh, everybody
1: had their place, and we stayed there, you know? Uh,
2: some tenement buildings in Brooklyn, they got walls around them. Is that to keep people out or to keep us in? You right. Know? Uh, it's just, you... I believe I, I found in life that people gravitate. People with the same mindsets and uh, the same aura or whatever, they seem to gravitate towards each other. You know, yeah. uh, like mine. Like, yeah, like ducks don't fly with hawks. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, gazelles don't hang out with lions. Right. And that's that's the that's the hierarchy. You know, and the same thing applies in prison. But in prison, it's the numbers
1: that overwhelm you. Mm-hmm. And that was my case. <laughs> I, had, I had numbers. Mm-hmm. But, I had,
2: but I, had adopted, I had adopted a different mentality as far as like there's 100 of them. And one of me, I looked at it this way. If there's only one of me. I know where I am at any given time. There's 100 of them. I got 100 shots to one. Mm-hmm. You know, so I tried to adopt that positive mentality and operate on that. And in prison, you just you don't really have to think, but you follow the rules. Now everything is structured for us, as you know, mm-hmm. and all we have to do is watch out for the pitfalls because the slightest mistake and you got a problem. Mm-hmm. So, well so you know, uh,
0: so going back to to the boroughs that so that's how you was already kind of adapted to a segregated way of life growing up in in these boroughs as you say right yeah for the most part because uh like you say there were some parts that that uh, a certain group couldn't even go into you know right. so then going into prison now and now <clears throat> you you had this individual give you the advice as to walk like a man keep to yourself you know he's giving you the rules of the convict you know which all young kids i think get from from some elder when they go in this was a white guy right
2: yeah
0: and and how did you take that
2: i took it uh you know he had done i think uh i don't know he did over 10 years and then he also did some bed time and so you know i I could just sense that this guy knew what he was saying, you know and and it just felt right you know uh and this was in the seventies yes, yes, in mm-hmm. county jail you know before before i you know got sentenced or before uh you before
0: got shipped the
2: prison. oh this yeah. was in
0: the county, so this was advice you got into the county before you got shipped now you yeah. hit the you hit the yard and um what, what happens? Who were you approached by? Are you approached?
2: Well, like, What is your expectation well, first, on that yard? Well, the first, the first week I was in the screening cells. That I had to get processed through the administration. Uh, so I stayed on the tier and I ate on the tier
1: uh, with the uh, you know, other fish that was there. And uh, then I got classified the general population.
2: I started coming out, you know, and like I said, I just kept to myself, watched everything, and you know, there was guys that the of them. Remember, you in for? You know, I don't know why they asked me because convicts did all the processing. They knew who you were before you ever got there. Yeah, you know, so they knew exactly what your charge was and how much time you were doing. But I told the truth. You know, and, uh, and
0: let me explain quickly to the listener what Frank is talking about. So. <clears throat> how do we know these things you may be asking like how do how does an inmate know what an inmate that hasn't even gotten to prison how does he know that he's coming there and he's got charges first and foremost prison is is a world in itself and it's a small society and we're constantly trying to seek information because first and foremost if if my cellie went to the shoe if he went to to the hole or got killed or whatever reason i know that they're going to be putting somebody in my cell I want to know who's coming in my cell. So I want to know when a bus is, well, we already know when the buses arrive, right? We know when buses come in because buses come in routinely, you know, once a week or twice a month, however that institution runs, right? So we know when buses come and we want to know who's getting off the bus. We'll go ask our case manager, a bus coming today? Yeah, a bus will be in today. Uh, How many white guys are getting off the bus? How we got four white guys getting off the bus how many are coming to this unit well there's one coming to this unit when i was thinking about putting him in your cell okay what kind of charge does he have so this is the type of interaction that we have with officers to protect ourselves and our environment what we got going on but that's how we know about this inmate before he even steps foot on the yard
2: Well, you see nowadays uh It's, you know, the administration, the the staff does all the processing. But what they do now is a paper check. Mm -hmm. You come in, you got to show your paperwork or you're going to get smashed out. Mm -hmm. There's no tips, ands, or buts. And uh, because, like, my last year, they sent me to Southern Desert.
1: And uh, I got on a tier. Three white
2: dudes approached me. Stood outside the cell, said hey man, uh gotta check out your paperwork. And I showed him my, my ID card and I said, You got a back number older than mine. Yeah, I'll do that. Until you got a back number older as old as mine, take a walk. Right. You know, well, hey man, uh, and I said, Well, you gonna do what you gotta do. And uh, you know, so what happened was there were some people there that knew of me or whatever, so they that did wrong. Okay. You know, uh So, you know, uh, you know, uh that's what they do nowadays. Yeah. Uh, And that
0: was the thing about mine was my case, my case was public. It was published. So as soon as I hit the compound, right? Because sometimes we would have to wait weeks for a property to come, you know. Yeah. But as soon as I hit the compound, I could take them right to the law library, pull my case up on, on the computer and show that I went to trial, you know. So that that was one of the the perks about my case and going to trial. But so now you you're in here, Frank. How 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 are you approached by the white guys? What is your expectation on this yard? Are you given rules of of, of engagement on the yard? Are you told how to and what not to do and things of that
1: well, nature? Well, the uh,
2: like there was a couple of guys that have been down for a long time. Uh, and I said, you know, I asked him, I said, well, what's expected of you? Dude said, uh, you're able-bodied and tensions kick off, you know, and, and uh, we side up, you know, black against the whites. Uh, well, let me, let me clarify, uh, as far as racial tensions and all that, uh, the whites and the Mexicans had an alliance mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, on that kind of stuff, they never got involved in each other's politics. Mm -hmm. But let's say a riot kicked off.
1: I was fully expected to be there. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And if I wouldn't have been there, there's going to be some serious problems. I had even told the guy that approached me about prospecting that, look, I know the rules. I'll I'll be where I'm supposed to be when the time comes. I'll put that much of myself at risk because i have to you know but other than that i just want to do my time and go home
1: prospecting what does that mean
2: uh well like had i said yes he would have i would have been
0: no when you said when you said that he was prospecting what what does that mean and who who is he is was he part of a gang member
2: yes he was uh he was, well, matter of fact, he was the head. He founded the the gang, Aryan Warriors.
1: The and, Aryan uh, Warriors.
2: Yeah, and uh, you know, uh, and I guess I was supposed to be bowled over with gratitude that he wanted to personally prospect. You know, uh,
0: which means take you up under his wing and train you in the ways of, up, of well, Aryan warriorship.
2: As he said to me. I like what I see I get good reports from you uh I think you'd be an asset to my organization I would like to personally take you under my wing and raise you in the ways of a real man and a real warrior and I was a little bit offended by that but I said well my father started that teaching me to be a man and I hope life teaches me to be a good man you know I said as far as warrior goes uh I don't know about all that I said, but, uh, I'm going to have to say no. Cause I just want to do my time. And
3: mm-hmm.
2: and he, and he, and he was a, he was a narcissist, a true mm-hmm. narcissist.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, uh, he Pure. took serious offense that I said, no to him.
0: Yeah.
2: And that's, and he put the word out. What are he some of sure the things,
0: what are some of the things that you would see this, this Aryan warrior group do? Like what is their what was their ideology? What was their their thought pattern? What was what was it that they were trying to accomplish
2: criminal activity? <laughs> you know, yeah. what else? Uh domination, ruling. And he did. He uh he used violence and he had some pretty violent people on this crew. Uh they all had to prove themselves to be men unto themselves, uh, not counting on each other to uh, you know, protect me. And mm-hmm. uh fact their manifesto said uh every mender shall prove himself shall prove himself to be a man unto himself uh yeah they had their manifesto and they and they had to live by those rules you know uh I'm not really privy to the full manifesto I just mm-hmm. that part
0: you know? right so uh so, how, how does how does it look inside of prison in that fashion I mean you have these these, these white supremacist groups, these Aryan you know, warriors and things of that nature, like how does the prison function as the inmates with all of these advert, these different groups of people?
2: Well, well.
1: back then, the prisoners, that was their world.
2: There was a lot of violence between guards and, and some of the A-dubs. And there was even bullets flying on the streets. Uh, one of the A-dubs that got out came up missing. And that was a thing going on between the A-dubs and the guard. Well, what happened is that one of the wardens
1: came home from work and a bullet went by his head through his house. Well, a short time later, uh, there was a late night meeting, I was told. and in that meeting it was established that look i don't care what you do to each other i don't care what you do this is your world but my officers go home safe and sound to their families every night mm-hmm. no more no more of this bullshit
2: and it was agreed shortly after that the uh the upstairs the weekend gambling games they started up again uh things were really flowing and Mm -hmm. there was a lot of money on the yard a lot of drugs people were uh even the captain of the yard this is how blatant it was captain of the yard told one of the gang leaders hey creative minds need to get creative because we're getting heat with all the stabbings going on Mm -hmm. so next thing you know people are hanging themselves in (laughs) odin so the guards the
0: guards the guards were well aware of the aryan warriors uh criminal activities within the prison and probably yeah had had interchanges with that but as far as the prison itself is is the prison segregated like how are prisons do they segregate the inmates
2: well no well you see it used to just be the cell house before they built the hill but. Uh, and that opened up in 84. There was just a cell house. And you'd have a small yard. It's not a very big yard. With 600 people on the yard at one time. You know? And that's where
1: people... uh, They... They
2: handled business. They discussed things and... Drove iron, played basketball. You know, everybody did what they did. And you just flock to your people. Mm. Or you stayed by yourself.
0: Your people meaning it's that simple. Your people meaning you're your race. Your race. race.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh like in the Chow Hall, you sit with your race. Everybody has their tables, you know.
0: What would happen to you if you I went would, and sat with the, the black people over on the black side. They're
2: gonna the people are gonna say, what are you doing? Don't Who? do that no more. The the whites. The whites somebody's gonna approach you.
0: Would the blacks say, even hey, what, what would the blacks say to you?
2: Well, the black students. a lot of times, uh, uh, you would see, like when I went in, when I first went into the chow hall, I'm just standing there looking around and then some guy weighs me over, some white guy and he weighs me over and there's a spot of the head, he says, you sit there. And mm-hmm. I said, all right. You know, so I sat down and, uh, nobody said nothing to me. They didn't do any talking, you know, he ate and, uh, and then we left. Right. Uh. And on the way out, the guy said, that's your table. That's your seat from now on. Don't let nobody take it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, my first incident was standing in a chow hall. Some guy cut in front of me.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I didn't say
2: nothing, you know. And the dude, uh, he happened to be an A.W. He patted me on, he like, poked me on his shoulder. He goes, hey what the fuck are you going to do? You just say, guy just cut in front of you.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I said, what the fuck am I supposed to do? He said, you better do something or you're going to be dealing with some people. I'm just letting you know that it's your choice.
0: Yeah, Because half the child so, hall saw that so, dude cut in front of you.
2: Yeah. So I told him, hey, I told the guy in front of him, excuse me. That's my, you know, he was a white dude, mm-hmm. uh, but he wasn't tipped up or anything. And uh, he said, well, man, I'm hungry, man. I told him, man, and I grabbed him and I pushed him behind me. <laughs> you know? And then another guy said, no, you get behind me, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. And he was, he ended up in the back of the line. Of course. Uh, so I averted, you know, uh, and, and what would have happened if someone explained to me, if someone does that to you, that's just, that's, they're testing you or they're just not thinking uh, when mm-hmm. they should be. And it's just plain disrespectful.
0: Yeah, because in my mind uh, at, at that time, I'm going to sit here and think, why? Well, why? Why the hell did you cut in front of me? Why didn't you cut in front of him up there or or yeah. him behind me? Why are you cut in front of me? Exactly, because there's you know two I mean?
2: people in front of me. Right. Yeah. So did you single me out? You know. That's uh, how I'm to think. Yes, exactly. And uh, but at first, I mean, when somebody cut, and didn't bother me. I'm still going to get my food. But that's that's a, that's in society. That ain't in there. <laughs> you know. Uh, you cannot allow anybody put a foot on your neck you know mm-hmm. you just can't
0: uh so in, in and that, i learned that in that context you know that in the in the child hall like the child hall is completely separated you will not see a black person eating with a white person you will not see a white person eating with a black person but what about mexicans the spanish no no they all eat together as well
2: yes everybody every race ate by themselves
0: And then as far as in the dorm itself, your living quarters, how is that structured? Is it structured the same way?
2: Uh, There wasn't any dorms when I was, uh, when, when I came in, Mm -hmm. it was all tiny little barred cells, you know, with the sliding bar doors, Mm -hmm. the cell houses, an old place, you know. It so, be, so uh,
0: what would happen if you were in your cell and the institution put a black individual in the cell with you?
2: Oh, they wouldn't do that. Who wouldn't do that? They wouldn't do that. The administration.
0: Why would not, why wouldn't the administration do that? Why wouldn't they put a one human being in with another?
2: Because if they put a black and a white guy's cell, somebody's going to get stabbed. Why? I promise you that. Wow. Why? Because you are expected. You are mandated to say no 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 you can't live in here if he comes into your cell that you're already there you got to tell him hey look <laughs> pack shit, keep your shit packed you ain't coming in here.
1: but why though why?
2: because he's black and those are the rules those look
0: but what is the stigma behind that though is what i'm trying to to get the listener to understand why is it so looked down upon to have a black individual as your cellmate
2: because that's how people are raised, and those are the rules in prison. You know, you as you know, the intensity between society and prison is is, is apples and oranges, man.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, there's a great intensity inside the prison walls, and the gangs make up the rules, and those rules are based on ancient traditions and prejudices. -hmm. That our society lives by. Remember, everybody that's in prison that was in society at one time, Mm -hmm. and
0: well, they're in prison prison. because they could not function in society. So these are supposed to be the the quote unquote. I I don't like call this isn't mine, but it's how society looks at them. But this is supposed to be the rejects of society. They could not be in society. This is why they're in prison because they have these types of ideologies. So that's to be expected, but I guess what I'm trying to show is how the administration facilitates this type of behavior, right?
2: That's half of them are racist. You see very few blacks, especially back then. There was absolutely no blacks that I can recall in the 70s. Black guards working there? No, I didn't. I I never saw that. Have you when somebody? Go ahead. On a black and a black officer would start he didn't last now that was the administration not us yeah so I mean they had their own thing they didn't want blacks there now you have multitude of uh, different races and working in prison Did
0: did you see blacks were treated differently than whites inside
1: a prison
2: to be honest with you
1: I don't the race card,
2: it's, it's a double-edged sword. The ra- I've, I grew up around different races and I have never really had a problem with any other, with a person's color.
1: However, however, in my situation,
2: uh, even though at first, like for example, on that, that first, Killing that I had, uh it's the newspaper headlines came out, NSP death seen as contract killing. That didn't fly. They came out with another headline. NSP death seen as racially motivated.
1: Mm.
2: it was the furthest thing from the truth. And they, but they put it on the news, they put it in the news. The headline,
1: yeah, it sells.
2: Yeah. And so that's the premise they went with. And they tried to prove me to be a racist. But they couldn't. However, I got to be honest. So I never said the N word uh, generally. I came. I got to be where I hated them. And it was end this, end that. Mm-hmm. Because of the, the situation I was in with them. I automatically turned to that racial.
0: Well, this is uh, what this is. Thank you for saying that. Because this is what I want you to elaborate on, Frank, is how that was brought into your existence. This is why I was trying to bring up your 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 childhood and things of that nature. Because as as you and I had talked about previously, you know, you have symbols of hate tattooed on you. And people can see that. Right. Right. And and it's going to of course give you an automatic uh stigmatic, it's going to put you in that stigmatic
2: box. Right. Right. And I have you're right, because I have I have met people like I was sitting and I was talking with some uh Oriental people uh, and they asked about my tattoos and I told them prison mm-hmm. and then they pointed to the, the little swastikas. And I said, I know, I know. I said, but I've never belonged to a gang. I said, I put these on these ugly tattoos I put them on to try to look tough. I would see tattoos on people, try to remember it and, and duplicate it. You know? uh, I got some sorry tattoos, right? But I was just scared and I wanted to look tough. That's in that and it.
0: that no, that's beautiful in what you say, partner, because that is what I'm trying to get the people to understand. The, the culture of prison and how it transforms individuals before they're released into the community, right? And then we see these individuals that are coming out without understanding the transformation that they went through. And then we start treating these people as what we see them as, which ultimately they're like, well, I might as well just be this, right? So these right. are the, the, the stigmatic views that I am trying to erase through these conversations. And how do you, right, like you and I understand, but when somebody's sitting here watching this interview and and you're sitting here saying, I'm not racist, but yet you have racist symbols of hate tattooed onto your skin. I want the the listener to truly understand how that transformation is allowed to happen and how the administration of prisons
2: promote that. by the way they operate the prison it's, it's promoting racism thank you I mean it's their, whole, their whole setup is backwards There's, they teach class warfare not racial and cultural awareness because if I understand this person that was supposed to be my enemy better then I'm probably not going to hate him that's right like they, don't, they don't teach that in, in, in prison they don't no. You know, that's the furthest thing from their mind.
1: That's exactly what
0: I wanted to talk about, was get into, uh, get into um, how the administration of these prisons is facilitating uh, this racial activity inside of these institutions and teaching individuals how to be segregated, how to hate each other, and and how to be racist. So
2: there's, there's, there's been times when the guards would, in their own little ways, uh, when the focus became too much on them, they would divert attention by creating situations, racial situations. Uh, they would put, let's say, like for example, John Layton. It was 1976, as when the, uh, the big riot kicked off in the culinary and people died some blacks died and a bunch got stabbed. Uh, the guards had locked John Layton into the weight room with all the blacks. And they attacked him. And he got out of it alive, but, you know, he was just a hog, you know. and boy was a hog. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if the listeners know what a hog no, is. No, explain right what now. a hog is. Like most people, like uh, when you drive an iron. Uh, and you get real healthy, you get swolled up and you get strong. And you're just somebody that people have come to respect because you're just, a you are you know, those, those guys, when they get hog status, that's, that's, uh, that's a respect thing on the weight pile, mm-hmm. you know, and a testament to, to a committed individual. Uh, I got to a point where John Layton, who was a hog, Gave me hog status, you know, that gives me the the authorization to give somebody else that status. (laughs) And I just made a good friend of mine a hog status, and it's a girl. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. (laughs) But she's tough, you know. And uh, so I told her, you know what, man, I have the the authority to give you hog status. (laughs) And she said, what's that? And I ran it down to her. She goes, well, give it to me. (laughs) (laughs) And, but the sad part is, is and so from that from that it was uh, a friend of john's said oh yeah all right we're going to show you and they put the riot together they put the plan together and executed the culinary you know uh and uh but you see like i said a lot of the guards are racist and you can't be something and put up a facade and it not come out sooner or later so, in your dealings with people, if I'm a racist and I'm dealing with blacks, they're going to they're gonna sense something, you know? They're going to sense something. And, and, you know, between us, between the convicts, there's really not, it's, it's the culture that manifests this natural, we, we live in a world of ancient tradition and prejudice. And let's face it, racism is systemic in our society, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and it's always going to be that way, unfortunately. I don't see that changing. It's just so deeply rooted. And and, and then you say, then you hear people talking about, oh, well, they're black. Well, they're lazy anyway. They're good for nothing anyway. They hype all that, you know, the media, all that crime in the black neighborhoods is risen. you know they propagate this fear mm-hmm. and they do that for votes the media propagates fear uh they go from okay predators now they got super predators define that for me you what's know, a super predator that's what joe biden called it way to, yeah uh-huh. that's what
0: joe biden called us back in the 80s when he was passing his crime yeah. bill super predators
2: yeah uh you know and they just fear-mongering that's all it is (laughs) and it gets votes because everybody's afraid you gotta get tougher on crime you gotta you know when half the problem in prison is the prison administrators themselves they they don't want anybody like with the solitary thing they don't want any outsiders coming in and telling them how to run their prison right They're very, they're very big on that. It's a good old boy system.
0: Yeah. And that's what we're going to break down.
2: Yeah. And, uh, Mm -hmm. and it's just, you know, uh, now, nowadays it's, I mean, you could hear them like in Southern desert. I could hear the guards in their, in their little area where they hang out and you catch him telling black jokes, Mm -hmm. you know, uh talking about uh black inmates using the n-word
0: would you ever hear guards joking with like that with white supremacist groups
2: inmates oh yes 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 yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of them guards uh, you know they're afraid too when they come to work uh they know what can happen uh you know just like i was involved in uh in a hostage situation where three guards were taken hostage and uh, we took over Max Housing. And, uh, you know, uh, there were three white guards, but they were, except with the exception of one, uh, the other two were pretty decent. The other one, he sort of had to be protected. (laughs) They kept him up in the front office. But during that situation, it was established by the heads of the gangs and mostly the Aaron warriors that, Hey, this is between us and them. Everything between us right now is on the back burner. Mm-hmm. And you see how easy, you see how easy it can be to quell those things. Well,
0: that's what, really what I want to ask is if, In your opinion, in in your 40-some-odd years of experience, would you say that if it wasn't for this racial stigmatic view that the administration was upholding inside of these prisons, do you think that racial tension would even be there? And what I mean by that is is during my time, (laughs) like I would see these people who were portraying to be racist, like you say, for protection because that's just was the, the law of the land. But however, you could tell that they didn't hate black people. You know what I mean? Like yeah, they didn't yeah, hate these yeah. people. Like, you know, they would they would coincide with each other and talk with each other and, and things like that. It wasn't it wasn't white supremacy. It was just survival inside a prison.
1: Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So how do
0: we how do we stop that? Like where where do where and how can we attack that and bring public notice to the fact that when these congressional people are sitting up on stage in Washington and they're talking about white supremacists in our communities and, and these, these white supremacist acts and all of this, they're focusing on white supremacy as if there are other, aren't other, you know, militia yeah, groups see, out there, whatever. But I,
2: I, think, I think in the case of like the Capitol, okay, uh, I don't think it was a racial thing. I don't think it was about white supremacy. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit because you have two white guys going against each other in, in office.
0: No, I'm not talking about the uh, January 6th thing. I'm talking about these congressional leaders who sit up there and talk about white supremacy as if it's only in us. And what I'm trying to get the, part the, of it too, right? They're and part I, of
2: it too. Come and on. And
0: that's what I'm trying to get the people to understand that it is them that is, that is breeding this hatred and allowing it to come into our communities, right? They're allowing these breeding grounds inside of prisons and then releasing these people. What would happen? Say, say if, if your guy got out the, the, the head of the AW, he didn't die in prison, but he got out. Well, he did get out, right?
2: Yeah, no, no. He, uh, he died in prison. Just like I said, he would.
0: (laughs) I thought he got out and caught another charge and went back and no, and, no, he, uh,
2: so he give me, a bunch of, so huh? give
0: me an example of, 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 of a kid that goes in who's not racist, but falls under this, this racist regime and then comes right. back out into society.
2: All right. All right. Well, he gets inducted. Okay. He's hanging out and they tell him, hey, look, he, he pretty much, he's scared too. This kid goes in, he's scared too. And if an opportunity comes along to where most guys, most people, especially youngsters going into prison, they're looking for something to belong to, something, you know, to be proud of. I mean, they want something good. They mm-hmm. want them. They want something. Uh, and so the allure that comes to them as far as the prison gang, it offers protection. It offers uh, power. Yeah, and and that that power exactly. And so human nature, I'm pretty good. I've learned about human behavior. You know, there's a cause and effect for our thoughts and and emotions. Uh, and these kids in their fear, they see something and they want, and they get approached. And they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, now they're innocent. They -hmm. have no idea what they're now, what they're just getting into naive, yeah. (laughs) you know? because all these guys call you brother and this, that, and the other thing. Then they put a knife in your hand and say, go handle this. yeah, And you take that three or five year sentence and now you're doing life or death. Uh, A lot of guys that I met in there doing lots of time, caught cases while they were in the the joint because there you can't get away from it. If you have a, a problem with somebody You just let him run around the yard? No, you got to do something because he's probably plotting on you. Let me ask this: if
0: if a white guy was to stab and kill a black person, would they be susceptible to less or less severe punishment as if a black guy was to kill a white person under the same circumstances?
2: Not, not, not in my, not in my uh, experience. In my uh, experience, I the racism the race card isn't really that prevalent amongst convicts because we all share a same uh struggle. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're all in prison. So there is there's, there's a, a kind of kinship, a kind of bond that is automatic there. We're all suffering the same fate, you know, in some in some respects. But it's within the structure of the gangs that the conversations that occur uh, amongst themselves about other races yeah that peckle with this and that peckle with that and a honky this and, and then the white guys talking about, yeah, this and this and this and this and this stick and this kite you know it, it, it becomes it becomes uh, it, it takes form it, it, it becomes alive you know uh, but by themselves it's they're really not that way but they become that way through that, through their tattoos and they got their, they're inked up, you know, They they know they belong to a gang and they want people to see it. And they assume a lot of people I noticed, they create a persona for themselves and they fall into it and they start to believe it. They start mm-hmm. to act that way.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then they
0: become that way. And the administration allows that to occur, right? They, they like allow said, that growth to occur because they know yes. that these hate groups are in there. They know that these, whether what, whatever race that they are, they're still hate groups and they know that they're in their breeding.
2: But if they're focused on each other, if we're focused on each other, we're not focused on the administration and their tactics and their policies. You know, uh, there was a, a time, it was in the 70s, when the administration came out and uh, said that from now on, you can't have beards. You, you have to have your hair cut short and the native Americans did the, the tribe, but they, they had long, all of them had really long hair. And they're talking about, you're crazy. You, you ain't cutting our hair. And they took a, a sergeant hostage, took him upstairs and put a noose around his neck and stood him on a chair. I said you're gonna do away with this policy. we hang this boy, and they were drunk. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you know how natives are when they're drunk. Yeah, higher uh, water, water. But, but they they they, the administration rescinded that order because they knew there was gonna be problems. When it comes to, to what they do, they do weigh. They do weigh uh, the consequences as to the pros. You know uh what is this new policy going to do sometimes they would create new policies to create problems right just for the purpose of because when you have problems when you have riots you can get more money right you know because the and institution goes on money.
0: lockdown. They, they get funding now. They get emergency funding. They, you yep. know, All the cops exactly. get overtime. I mean, it's, exactly. it's, it just trickles down. So they would lock the institution down just for these purposes. Sometimes before, they, may, they may, the rabbit hole goes deep on that. But that's a whole different show. But
2: Yeah, before, before I got out, I, I remember hearing this. Uh, the, every year, you know how prisons are allocated so many millions of dollars. And it's supposed to last a year. Well, within three months, there was already a deficit. And the governor's saying, what the hell is happening with the money? Well, he's obviously unaware, but the good old boy system is paying plenty of overtime to office. One of the one of the most.
0: One of the most relevant things I, I I heard cops say, and they would say it with the greatest of ease, as if nothing was wrong with it, it was just a perk of of working as a correctional officer, is that they didn't have to buy boxers anymore. They didn't have to buy white tees, socks, because when when we would get new shipments in, you know, we're supposed to get these new items every so often, you know, to replace mm-hmm. all the old ones, they would take yep. them. They would take yep. them home to their families and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. And we would never get the new ones unless we paid for them from somebody to actually steal us yeah, some exactly. out of laundry. But other than that, these guards are in there just picking in.
2: Hey, you're 100% correct because we used to get every six months a complete changeout. Mm-hmm. Three sets of T-shirts, three pair of socks, three pair of boxes, uh, new tennis shoes. all And they cut it down to one set every six months. Well, what do you mean? One pair, one t-shirt, one pair of boxers and one pair of socks for six months. What do I wash? What do I wear when I wash them? I'll Mm -hmm. figure it out. (laughs) Figure it out. That's your problem. You shouldn't have came to prison. That's what they tell you. That's on you. Get some money and buy some. Well, I, I didn't ask my parents for money. Mm -hmm. I didn't ask my family. I'm in prison, man. I'm a grown man. I just, I'm not going to do that. Right. Uh, but a lot of guys do. I mean, I think it's embarrassing for a grown man to get on a phone, call his mom, collect and say, can you send me $325 so I can buy this flat screen TV, this 13 inch that only costs $80 on the streets, mm-hmm. but in prison it costs $325 because you have to buy from them.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And they say, well, it's an electric charge, you know, power charge, you know, <laughs> uh, it's just it's just off the charts, you know, like the commissary, that's a monopoly. You gotta buy from these people and they just jack up the prices, mm-hmm. jack up the prices. All things that and I'm
0: exposing to the people of what this prison industrial system really is and how they how they market us human beings, Yes, to, for profit. We're the stock and trade. We're the stock Prisons and prisoners are money makers and we're the stock and trade. All and of, of our off our sales. brokenness because we're broken exactly. individuals that this society has broken us, you know, in exactly. some, some aspect, but well, Frank, I mean, you know, that, 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 um, the, the whole aspect of it is, is, is going back into, oh, I wanted you to get into what happens when this kid comes home now, right? He's been inducted. He comes home. What's his expectation now that he's been in prison under
2: this, this white supremac ideology? Well, now, see, a lot of people don't realize that once you're in, you're in. You get out and you get a phone call or a letter. Saying, hey, we need you to handle this. We need you to go do this. You got to do it. But you better not come back to the joint. Or you better keep beware of who's coming out. Because they might have orders to come get you. Uh, so a lot of people aren't aware of that. They think it's just in prison. Okay, it's mm-hmm. just in prison. Uh, uh, they think it's just in prison. But they find out <laughs> it ain't just in prison. And uh, you know, I've heard stories about guys getting out and trying to get about their lives and uh getting shot. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Uh so you know, and then and then a lot of these youngsters they realized only too late that they were disillusioned. That these guys didn't really care about them. They weren't brothers and he didn't love you. Yeah, it's too late. And I don't think they realize
0: that until until that happens, until you get home and you think in your mind, like, okay, man, I'm glad that's over with. Boy, I survived that. And then you get this call. Hey, listen, I need you to go pick up a half a key from John's house and bring it over here. You know what I mean? (laughs) And give it to this chick so she can bag it up and do a gun deal. And you're like, no, man, I'm out. I'm I'm out of prison. I'm not committing no crime. No, more. huh? What? Boy, you better go do that stuff. We can still touch you. (laughs) And they may even have somebody drive
2: by your house just to let you know. Yeah, reach out and uh, touch your family, too. You know, uh, There's some pretty cold-hearted people in there. You know, I mean, I, like I told somebody, I said, you know, I'm going to admit that I've met some of the world's most depraved individuals in prison, but I've met some of the most honorable people. I have a friend out here named Richard, and uh, I've known him for many years, and our relationship cemented in prison. But it really cemented out here, you know. Uh, I uh, I got I, I had a lot of pain, and I got involved in the heroin, and I got addicted, and I knew where I was headed. And I reached out and called him, told him, "Hey, brother, I got a problem, man. I need help." That's and beautiful. He said, uh, he said "Why you? Why well, I, haven't, I haven't seen you in several months? What's going on? You avoiding me?" And I said, "Well, yeah." I didn't want you to know. And I told him I'm strong out.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And he said, Oh shit. And I said, yeah, he said, well, where are you at? And I told him, where I And he, and he arranged, he got it arranged through people that he met and the connections he made and got me into a community triage center. I kicked, you know, and, uh, and I haven't messed with it since, you know, uh, but I mean, that's, you know, I know this guy. I've known him for many years. We we know each other. Mm-hmm. I know his belief system. Uh, uh, we share a lot of the same likes and dislikes and beliefs. And it's all honorable. It's, it's all real. He's never lied to me. I've never lied to him. And that's kept our relationship pure. Mm-hmm. The trust that we share is, is boundless, man. It's a... Uh, I trust him implicitly. And I know he trusts me the same way. Has
0: has prison in any kind of way implemented uh, a lot of these racist, stigmatic views inside of you that has carried out into society with you? I mean, I do you see yourself... Myself. Do you see yourself seeing Black people in, in any kind of way? Maybe, uh, I don't know, some way that you may of seen them in prison or something? I don't know.
2: No, because because i I grew up uh as I said in the other segments, my father, uh, he instilled a lot of things in me. And uh good things. Uh I've never started out that way as is racism, but I started to become that way in prison. I started to become a racist Mm -hmm. because of my situation. Uh, And it was also, it also enabled me by categorizing people by their racial slurs. I could put everybody in their proper place, so to speak, Mm -hmm. in my mind. And it also helped me to look at everybody as a potential enemy. Mm -hmm. So for me to trust you you had to be a special person <laughs>
0: yeah no, uh, no question yeah
2: yeah and richard was that person uh but i'm out here and now and again i'll catch myself when i'm with a, a group of people and they use the n-word I'll, it'll slip out of me too but i try to be respectful of all races of all people you know the only problem i have is if you see, i'm, I'm pretty forgiving <laughs> I'm really pretty forgiving Uh, and and I, and I let bygones be bygones, but my Achilles heel is to disrespect or harm someone I love. Then I lose all my manners. (laughs) I lose all, all, you know, consequences don't matter to me anymore. I know that. And so I'm glad I only have two relationships because, you know, I would put my life out there. If, if necessary you know and, and so would you but that's mm-hmm. just because that's just who we are
0: one final question partner what are you going to do with those tattoos
2: uh well i got a guy that is working on getting me uh uh some guy in the tattoo shop said that when he has time he might cover him up you know he would cover them up cover him up for me uh you know, and, and, and actually, I'm actually embarrassed when people look at them.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, uh, I used to wear my watch to cover it, but the watch didn't really cover it. Uh, I got a swastika up here on my bicep that is a backward bice- a, a swastika. So, uh, you know, I just I put it on backwards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but I've never adhered. I've never embraced the racial... You know, the racial, you know, thing behind it, you know, Mm -hmm. that's never been me and no, I'm not out here. I don't, I don't, uh, I look at, I look at the suffering I see out here. I see a lot of suffering and I see a lot of people walking around with holes in their souls. You know, there's nothing there. They're all about the drugs and burning each other, raping the women. I mean, these are girls get raped out here, man, you know, uh, homeless people. It's, it's, it's terrible. The homelessness and, uh, uh, homeless being homeless and poor in this state is treated as a crime. Yeah, You go to jail, they'll put you in jail for it.
0: Yeah. I mean, there is, right is a lot, there. there is a lot of pain and there is a lot of empty souls out there. And there's a lot of people out there that that are that way simply because of the color of their skin and nothing else. Yes. And, and, and because yes. of the color of their skin, they've never really had a fair shot at life, you know, and, exactly. and
2: these are the, uh, then that is, that is, that is up there. That is all those people you were just talking about. Right. Up on, they're, they, they, they're behind it. They know the truth. Yes.
0: Yes. And then you have these dummies that, that, that fall into that and they start
3: exhibiting that
0: hate. You know, it's, it's almost like the sense, it's almost like the sense partner of your Aryan warrior leader giving its, its gophers the, the, the tools to commit the crimes for them, the government, right? Our administration being the Aryan warrior uh, leader. Which is giving certain individuals, albeit your Buffalo guy and, and some of these other mass shooters and killers, they're, they're allowing these people to propensate you know, their, their hatred. Because, again, exactly. like I say, how can these people put all of this stuff online for all of this time, yet my little videos on TikTok are censored? They censored the president of the United States, regardless whether you like him or not. They completely cut him off of social media. Yeah. But yeah. yet these people are allowed to, to keep this hate going and, and, and do it unfiltered
2: and unchecked. And, and the kid from that's, Buffalo, because, that's because those in the suits that proclaim that they're not this are lying.
0: And they're passing the knives off to the to the gopher. Exactly. And, uh, exactly. and having him do their work for exactly. them. Exactly. And then they sit exactly. up on their stage up in Washington talking about all of these white supremacist groups in in our country and they exclude themselves from that not yeah. one did i hear
2: also, not one also did i hear of any that. of
0: those not one frank did any of those say what about the white supremacists that sit amongst us not one of them said that they're all white people there is a couple of black people but you know yeah. for the majority it's majority white people up there making these exactly. decisions
2: look this country uh the the declaration of independence and the you know all that was this country was founded by white people for white people, but people naturally are going to rise up and say, hey, hey, man, you're treating us bad. You're not treating us like these people over here. Why not? Why do you got us living in these neighborhoods like with, with nothing? And over here across the railroad tracks, you guys are living in the high side. W- what did I do? You know, it's, it's, you're you're black, <laughs> you know. Uh uh so
0: well let me ask you this. What what does if if uh if an individual was to come up to you and ask you about white pride, what does that mean to you? Somebody comes up and, and asks you, Are you
1: proud to be white? I'd I'd
2: I'd ask them to clarify that. Mm-hmm. I would ask them what do you mean by that?
0: Because there's meaning behind that when they come up and ask you that, right?
2: Of course. If they're, there's if they're specifically asking, you know, are you proud to be white? Whose side are you yeah, on? Yeah, I am. Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. But why are you, you know, what does that mean? Does that mean you're going to have a follow-up question? Do I hate other races? You know, because no, I don't. Uh, I know a guy that is a racist. He is, he, he hates blacks. But the guy has the sack. He has enough cojones he gets in fights all i don't know i haven't seen him in years but if he he will say he won't say behind your back what he won't say to your face and he did not call blacks blacks he called them n the Mm -hmm. n-word and he had plenty of problems behind it but he didn't care he believed in that he truly believed that they were lesser than him Mm -hmm. and what are you gonna you know i mean either you side with him or you agree with him or you
0: just stay away from them and these people are those types of people are the ones that are allowed to to gain power within the prison structure and and run organizations in there and send people home within that organization into our communities exactly so frank thank you so much for this powerful powerful discussion man again this this is something that the people really need to understand where this stuff breeds from and that it's not in our communities these aren't parents that are raising their kids that way these are institutions that are raising our kids this way right so um
2: it's just and they do so they do so excuse me they do so to keep to keep every all the all the focus off of them as long as we're focused on each other they don't have to worry
0: divide and conquer
2: exactly
0: You take care of yourself, partner.
2: Go ahead. You too, brother, man. Uh, I enjoyed this. Uh, But I want to say this in closing, that our society has a tendency to treat the symptoms which never go away because they never get to the root of the problem. And to do that means people are going to have to look at the truth and cast off those self-created illusions that we all seem to live in at times. And the illusion that our leaders are putting out there, I see through it. You see through it. And to so get the people unless, to see through and, it. And, and, unless, unless it's focused upon, unless the, you know, the, the light is put on it in its truth, in its truth form, then all the laws in the world are not going to change anything. We got to change it.
1: We got to change it. We
0: the people no will question it. this is this is the premise of everything that I'm doing. And and like now with my nonprofit, you know, it's what I'm trying to do is create that fund for individuals like you, Frank, who come home and uh, you got you got symbols of hate on you that you want to get removed, you know, and you may not have the funds to do that. But now there's a there's a fund that that can allow you and help you Get those tattoos removed. you know we'll, that right. fund will pay for that and, and help you become a part of society again. So yeah. uh, great, great conversation. Um, many blessings to you, Frank. I'm always here. You know that you got a brother in yeah, me and me
2: thank you. For, thank you for reaching out to me, man. Uh, it was good. I enjoyed this. Uh, I think and it just, it just starts from here. It just starts
0: from here, brother. We're, we're wrapping and bringing all of this together. We're going to unite all convicted felons in America. And, and hopefully unionize these people, get us all together on one page and start earning some respect as, as returning citizens, you know? Yeah. So.
2: And, uh, and I, I respect and admire what you're doing on behalf of all of us. I want to thank you, you know, because it's guys like you and others that uh, kind of give us uh reason to hope, you know?
0: Yeah, and that's, that's and what's I know, important. I learned man.
2: this. I learned this much. You lose hope, you begin to die from the inside out. That's what
0: that's what I was going to say. I mean, we discovered what what hopelessness does to you. So that's that's essentially what it is, partner, is me just giving a bunch of people hope. You know, I don't know what happen with it. You know, it's just me at the end of the day. It's just me doing all this and, and forming what I feel would be would be solutions, like you say, to the root of the issue. Not good time. I'm not here for good time. I'm not here for parole. I'm not here to rush these guys home into nothingness. There's plenty of organizations out there that, are, that is doing the, the marvelous work that they're doing. I'm not here to interfere with that. I'm here to make sure that the person themselves are ready to come home and ready to reestablish themselves and know of the strength that they're going to have coming into society. The fight is not over because you come home. You're, you're leaving no. one prison and it's going really into just another.
2: Start. It's just it's starting. Just start. yeah. So
0: it's bringing that awareness to the people. You know.
2: I will say this much. I I look at the people that wake up every day and put on their boots and lace them up and they go to work.
1: And, And I have
2: somebody that's very close to me who's been homeless for quite a while. And they have gone through I mean, so much. And I look at my experiences as compared to their suffering, and yet, and yet they survived. And when I was homeless for like a month, I knew that I wasn't going to survive. I was going to become an all-out criminal. I was not, you know, I could not do that. The, it just, it takes, it takes a strength, a will to survive out there. And I realized I don't have that. I don't, that isn't my area of, of strength. Mm-hmm. And uh, so my hat's off to them, you know, because uh, I don't like, you know, I, I focus on those things. I see it and it hurts me. It really, really, really hurts, you know. Uh, but hey, maybe, huh? Maybe hope. <laughs> it's hope. It's hope, you know, thing, and, and what
0: hurts me the most is, is that at the end of the day, these are human beings, man. And every human being, I believe deep down in my soul is just in search of love. We're all in search of whatever type of love makes us tick. And and we, we go down such dark roads and dark paths and get twisted up in so much things in search of this. You know, and you know, and at the end of the day, we're being used against each other to 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 bring out our evilness, our most evil sides, because, like you say, yes. we're put in a position where we're stripped of hope, and we become very ugly people when we have no hope.
2: Yes, that's right. That's right. You know, uh, someone asked me, "Hey Frank, how come you never gave up? How come you don't give up?"
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I said. Don't laugh. I'm going to give you the simple, honest answer. You see what's that? And I said, with the hope and promise of love. I've never really known it. Amen. I've never had relationships. I went to prison, a virgin, <laughs> you know, uh, You know, and I never messed around with guys. Uh, uh, you know, so out here, it's tough. It's tough, especially for somebody like me who has no life skills out there. Uh, I collect SSI. I have. medicaid and things like that uh but when i got out i i was in a halfway house and six months later i was out on the street
1: and this is what
2: my organization
0: deals with is is to help individuals like you so you don't have to go through that you've been through enough you know so it's it's (laughs) let's let's establish this guy into our communities bring him back in welcome him help him get set back up so that he can have some semblance of some sort of life that he wanted you know that it's, was kind like of robbed from him
2: like people have asked me how do you adjust and i said i don't feel like a member of society i feel like an outcast and that is because
1: of the label that's on me it follows you wherever you go yeah we're going to you know, cut off uh, so
0: we'll end we'll end it right at that right there because that's a good ending all right note, but is going to cut out. But go rest, take care
2: of yourself, and we'll right, connect, man. Too.
0: We'll connect. And yeah, I'll get will. out there at some point. Number.
2: No question. All right, brother.
0: All right, brother. Hey, Stay let still.
2: me know when, the, when you're going to start coming out with these uh, so I can let other I'm going to try know. to put
0: this one out first because I think I want this one to preclude all the other ones. They're going to walk.